We live in a world of dynamic cyber threats, but one thing is clear, human behavior is the most vulnerable target for attacks. Welcome to Behave by CyberSafe, the foremost cybersecurity podcast focused on human cyber risk. Organizational awareness is no longer enough, so how will your team stay protected? Be sure to subscribe to Behave on your preferred listening app for cutting edge insights into our evolving industry and stay ahead of the shift to security behaviors and human risk quantification. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Behave podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dan Dipple, who is Cybersecurity Manager at Charles Taylor. Dan, good to see you. Good to see you as well, Manu. I've been looking forward to this conversation, I have to say, um, and I have loads of questions and I'm learning quite a bit about cybersecurity in general. But could I ask you, Dan, just a little bit of context and a bit of history, you know, where how did you end up in cybersecurity? Uh, what has your journey through your career been? Um, and then let's talk more about the job itself in a moment. Yeah, so my career's kind of bounced around the houses, as some people might have seen. Um, I joined the military fairly youngish, um, so early 20s. Um, from there, um, you know, various roles through information management, um, infrastructure building, virtualization. Um, malware analysis at one point um, and then got to the point with two young children that um, traveling six hours every weekend um, was kind of difficult on me and my wife so um, we made the decision for me to leave um, and then I ended up joining Charles Taylor so um, I was quite fortunate they waited for me um, I think I made the right impression I've been there seven months now um, so the role is is massively varied. Um, there's no sort of easy way to put it in one sentence, um, but I suppose the only way you could do it is anything that's connected to a network um, kind of comes to me. Um, so whether that be, you know, your mobile phone that's connected and managed by your corporate entity to CCTV systems, um, because people want to connect everything, they want to see everything, they want to be able to interrogate it. Um, I never ever thought I'd have a question of can I connect a CCTV system to a corporate network um, but it has been done um, so yeah there's there's various things around the houses that you see anything from legacy IT systems to IoT stuff that we're now seeing as well so you know your, your Amazon Alexas um, etc to fingerprint biometrics and, and things like that as well Interesting. Interesting. I want to dig into um, the role itself in a bit more detail, but I am fascinated by this military background. Um, did you essentially have a sense of a call, call to to serve? What was what, what what what? How did how did that happen? Yes, I know. I mean, my my father was in for twenty seven years, I think. So um, we were both in at the same time. Um, at one point, and ironically, serving at the same camp, which likelihood is very small. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was two thousand and eight. Um, the financial crash was just about to hit. The company I was originally working for um, was a loan company, um, and their primary lender was Northern Rock. And I sort of I saw the writing on the wall and went, "I need something more stable." Um, and obviously, I'd seen the career that um, my thought father would had out of it um, I knew that that was an option to sort of 
getting at the not sharp end, but to build my skill set up um, quite quickly without spending years and years in university or college and doing lots and lots of training and also got to see various parts of the world as well. So, Yeah, fascinating. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I have deep respect for people that, that, that serve and um, you know, that, that dedicate their lives in that way, um, for sure. So cybersecurity manager at Charles Taylor, what does a day in the life of a cybersecurity manager actually look like? So it's really good. I mean, I've got um, the SecOps team are, are underneath me as well as the cybersecurity engineering team. So I still get, I can still get my hands deep and dirty as some people call it um, and work on investigations, which is really, really good. Um, obviously the security engineering side of it, you're looking at vulnerability management. It's kind of that, that interim role where you're not quite a CISO level head of information security. You're kind of the filter the noise before it goes up. Um, but also, you know, a lot of people will come to you for the answers for, for questions that they don't necessarily understand completely. Um, so whether that's, you know, um, reviewing account creations or looking at policies, that kind of tends to hit my desk. It's never, no two days are ever the same, which is good. Um, it's a very, very busy role, um, but as anyone who's worked with me will kind of know, I don't like being stationary. Um, I don't deal with lack of work. Um, so, And that's a mentality that some people within the business don't understand. Um, if I've got white space in my calendar, I've still got capacity to do stuff, um, which some people think, do you not want to take a break? Um, but I've already built those breaks into my day, so that gap is there intentionally to go, I can pick something else up in that period. I know that you've got quite firm views on security awareness. Um, and um, I think even in the prep for this session, I read somewhere that you have 3,500 people within the business and you want them all to be frontline defenders when it comes to security. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and that how, how you came to form that point of view? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest asset you've ever got is always the people in the company. So regardless of who they are, um, whether it's the chief exec um, or whether it's somebody, an apprentice that's just started or a graduate, etc. To be able to inbreed that security culture with them all the time um, is something that's kind of key because at the end of the day, tooling is great, but it will never be 100%. Um, and anybody that tells you it's 100%, um, in my opinion, is lying because there's always a gap. There is always a, it doesn't matter how small that gap is, there is always a gap. Um, so it's it's how do you breach that gap with the people that you've got. Um, I've got a relatively small team in terms of what I worked in before, but to be able to use those extra three and a half thousand people, even if it's something as simple as reporting a potential phishing email, it could be them reporting it that then stops a much wider attack. Um, so it's, the, it's that those little tidbits of information to kind of go, right, where do we go from here? Um, and once they've reported it, getting that engagement back um, is another key thing that I kind of see as well. So you'll see people report it, and I've had it before. If you use like Outlook.com, a fairly, fairly common platform that people use, you hit reporting phishing, it goes to Microsoft and you get no feedback. 
uh, which, is, which is incredibly frustrating. Um, and especially, you know, we're, we're Office 365 customers, so that ability to actually report it and then turn around and go, look, right, you've reported it. We've investigated it with Microsoft, etc. Um, this is the feedback. Um, and I think getting that feedback helps people as well because they then go, do you know what? They actually care about what I'm thinking and what I'm doing. Um, but the big thing is it improves the tooling. Um, and it's it's very difficult to get that into somebody who's not technical because somebody from HR doesn't care about what the tooling does. It just They just know it stops it. Um, again, because we've got various company, uh, various countries that we work in as well, trying to explain that to, to individuals across the world is quite difficult. I don't speak Chinese. Um, I'd, I wouldn't even attempt. I went to school with Chinese kids and Japanese kids and their language just blew me because they spoke so fast. I was like, I couldn't understand it quick enough. Um, equally, we've got people that work in Latin America um, and, you know, Portuguese, Spanish, etc. Those sort of languages, by limit, is cerveza por favor. That is it. Um, and you can't really do that when you're trying to speak to somebody and go, I'm trying to explain cybersecurity to you, but their primary language is it. Some of them don't speak English, um, and some of them, obviously, it's not as natural as it would be for you or I. So it's trying to get that across in a simple format that's not trying to teach them to suck eggs. Dan, you also have a point of view just from reading again that cybersecurity in and of itself is a bit of a buzzword yes what, what, what do you mean by that yeah very much so so it's, it's it's quite controversial and i've had quite a few conversations about it and what makes me laugh is the amount of people that work within cyber that go you're just talking nonsense um and the article that i published for um somebody else was you know it was designed to start that conversation of why is it a buzzword? We've all got laptops, you know, ever since computers first came out and they were, they turned up in the house. The first thing you did was you install the software, you get antivirus. I mean, back in the day, it probably used to be Symantec or Norton. Um, I know when Norton 360 came out, you basically set fire to your machine, it was quicker. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those where People have put cyber on the on the back of that kind of thing because the board don't care about IT. It's just a computer at the end of the day to them. But as soon as you start mentioning that word cyber, people go, oh, you know, there's a lot of dangerous people out there that are going to do it. They're still the same attackers. They're still after the same thing. How, how, do, you, how do you impress upon a board or, you know, a company owner that, they need to invest in it because it's their data that's at risk um, rather than being just the other stuff. So how do we do that, Dan? How do we do that? How do we do that well? I think it's having those conversations. It's, it's trying to get people in the right places. Um, and it's it's quite difficult. So quite a lot of survey, uh, polls I've seen recently is where should the CISO sit within a company? Which again is another contentious point because if you've got a fairly large company, say like Uber, you want 
that individual to be sat on the board because ultimately they're the people that are going to get it wrapped across the knuckles if they have a breach. Um, whereas if it's a fairly small startup company, you're probably talking to these people day in, day out. So the board might not be your direct contacts, um, but you need to have that conversation. It's getting that engagement. I think the more you can drive around the business, the easier it is for you to approach people. So I know within Charles Taylor, there's been a mentality shift um, since I started where people are engaging more and the CISOs get more questions, warranted he may not want as many questions. Um, with the emails, but it's that conversation, the engagement from around the business, which then drives everybody else and they go, well, what if we did this? You do realise the impact of you potentially going, yes, it's a monetary figure that I'm I'm saving, but what are you actually losing is the big bit. Um, where you can say, you know, we want to cut this piece of tooling, right? Do you understand what that tooling does? To you, it might be £100,000, which is a lot of money. But for what it gives you and the amount of time it saves you is so much more than that 100 grand. That's a delicate conversation. That is a delicate conversation and one that I imagine is not easy to navigate in organizations that have been set up to do other things other than cybersecurity. Um, and, and oftentimes organizations like yours and many others, that's not their core focus, right? But they have to have a defensive posture that's, that's credible. Um, when it comes to this idea of the human aspect and, and you talking about people being frontline defenders, you know, the ICO often publishes some data and statistics around how, you know, the human attack vector is, you know, 80, 90% of breaches happen uh, because of human error. Do you think that contributes negatively or positively to the conversation around security awareness and security professionals? I think it's a definite negative. Um, and the problem is you're getting into that mentality of, um, you know, we're the problem. Yeah. It's never that we've been the problem. It's, we've come so far with tooling that it used to always be, you know, Windows was the problem. Um, where, you know, the, it was the operating system that was the problem. It was the technical stuff. And now it's the human side. And you're like, it's, it's all one of the same. Like, we've built up that technical aspect so well, but we've forgotten about humans. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. Dan, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. And before we um, wrap up uh, and, and give you back some time, <laughs> and thank you for the generosity that you've, uh, you've shared with your, with your time, um, our, our audience, our listeners, I think will be curious as to, given your background, having served, uh, running this program um, across so many people, what are the top three insights that you have about, 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 the secu about cybersecurity uh, that you would like to share with our, with our, with our, with our listeners? I think one of the biggest thing is, you know, don't, don't be afraid to ask that question. Um, and a lot of people won't, won't do it and, and hide, hide the evidence away, so to speak. Um, and as I kind of mentioned throughout the podcast that, you know, we don't want to be the dog in the corner that's ready to bite. Um, please ask the question because the, the worst thing you can do is hide it. Um, the best thing you can do is is ask the question and that's that's the way that we help you out um you know other than that i think there's you know the engagement piece and communication from from the security team is key as well um 
you know, it, it kind of harps back back onto that piece of, you know, don't be afraid to ask the question, but also I think that that engagement with your your employees and your colleagues is a massive thing. Um, one of the things that we do is a, a security newsletter that's not only focused on, you know, what's happening around the world. So, you know, the Uber hack's big and everybody's seen it, but, you know, it's that, what do you do at home to improve it? And, you know, do you want a bit more education on cybersecurity is, is something that um, myself and, uh, and the people I work with on, on that security newsletter are very, very focused on in terms of pushing it forward and getting engagement from people. And, you know, the, the good thing is because we're a multinational company, it, it gives us that scope where, you know, we can focus on a particular aspect from say, um, Australia, but then look at people, the events occurring in Latin America. So I think one of them was, you know, very similar to people that are in London. You know, they, we've got the Lime and Uber, but they had something called Mobike, um, which was hacked. And, you know, there's passport photos and details and things like that that were, that were shown. And it's not just focusing on that, you know, there's been a breach, but the breach nine times out of 10 doesn't affect you. You know, it's 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 a realistic breach that people go or oh, step back and go, did they ever use that service? Yes or no. Um, and then go from there. So um, and I think finally, I mean, the kind of the big thing is, you know, a lot of people are not at the point where they can go down the route of automation um, and they don't embrace it as much as they should do. Um, and I think that's one of the things. Automation is great. Um, you will always need to be on the end of it um, to make sure, obviously, that that stuff is there. Um, but I think that that automation piece is, is probably going to be at the forefront of most people's minds in terms of, you know, not only incident tracking, but things like your education pieces where, you know, gone are the days where somebody spent an hour giving you a brief on this is, you know, this is your security training for the year. You know, it is that just in time and, you know, you've done something a little bit strange that we haven't seen from you before. So, you know, it might be that you're engaging with a, a brand new client, for argument's sake, in the insurance industry and they go, right, you've never emailed this person before. Are you supposed to be emailing them? Can you, can you check the email address? And I think, you know, that just in time piece where you can introduce that and slow people down even if it's just to stop for a second and go, have I typed that email address correctly? Um, will be a big thing. I think it, it'll massively help everybody driving forward that automation piece. I really like that, Dan. Um, so for our listeners, very, very clearly, um, you know, encourage people to engage by asking the question, um, be a bit more innovative and creative with your communication, and ultimately think about these just-in-time micro-interventions um, that can help people through automation. Dan, fantastic set of insights there, um, and and indeed advice to, to, to security professionals. To our listeners, uh, my guest has been Dan Dipple, Cybersecurity Manager at Charles Taylor. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining us, and hopefully we will have you back on the show again soon. Yeah, I mean, thank you very much for having me on here. It's been a, been a great pleasure. Um, I hope to speak to you again soon. <laughs> thank you very much.